In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event. Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Welcome to the Oil Cam Podcast. Hi there, it's Alan Mitchell along with Daniel Nugent Bowman. Hey dad, how you doing? I'm okay, yeah, I can't believe this is the first time we've had a chance to, to talk. Uh, uh, my, my daughter turns a full month old on Sunday, so it, uh, time has flown by, but at the same time it's eking along ever so slowly because uh, sleep's been at a premium for uh, for me and especially <laughs> my wife who's now that I've gone back to work kind of done some of the, the more nighttime shifts. So uh, uh, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, we as I as I said to Jonathan last week, I guess we wouldn't have it any other way because uh, she's she's been such a great uh, addition to our family, and we're so happy. So um, sleep uh, sleep can come later, right? <laughs> you bet. And you've got so many dad jokes that you're going to be telling. So get on it now. Start telling yeah. them. They won't. She won't understand it yet. But you know, the seven hundredth or eight hundredth time you tell the same joke, it'll be fine. Our guest today is Jason Strudwick, 14 seasons in the NHL with the Honors, Chicago Rangers, Vancouver, and the Oilers. Uh, he works with Jason Greger on TSN 1260 weekdays in the afternoon drive slot. Uh, great guy, and he'll be joining us in a little while from uh, right now. Do you have any Jason Strudwick uh, lore story? I have several, none of which I can tell on the podcast, but uh, have you have you um, had a chance to sit down and uh, have Jason teach you how to play defense or... Oh God, he'd he'd have a long way to st- to go on that. I did play a little in. Uh, I actually played pretty much every position in hockey, but uh, obviously nowhere near the degree that the Jason Strudwick did. It was nowhere close to the NHL. Um, yeah, he comes by like uh, he comes by the the rink every so often, and uh, I've had a chance to chat with him uh, the odd time in the press box. Just a you know a lovely guy to to speak with. Uh, the handful of vacations that I have. Um, but uh, nowhere, uh, nowhere near the player that he is. So he'd, he'd have a long way to go there. And he's a great guy too. So we'll look forward to talking to him. Uh, this is obviously a, a, a show we're, we're doing on uh, Friday afternoon. It has been a another week of, um, I, I think, incredible reaction from the hockey community uh, to the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, uh, to the things that are occurring in the United States and, and here. Um, and I, I don't think we can let this moment go without, uh, really, Daniel, pointing to, I, I mentioned Jonathan Taves, uh, um, uh, Braden Holtby, others who have, have really spoken out, and I think uniquely so in, in hockey history, about what's going on now. And, and I do think that there is power in their words, and it is, uh, uh, it is having, having an impact, and a very, I think, positive impact, hopefully. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at the players that have have spoken out, uh, you know, impactfully. I mean, there's been lots of guys that that have that have you know spoken out, but uh, you know, there's a few that I would touch on. Obviously, Vander Kane, uh, who's somebody who's who's who speaks out on, on a lot of different issues, especially pertaining to race. But he was he was so vocal, especially early. Um, Jonathan Taze, I think, is one you mentioned, and and you know his his eloquent post and and really trying to to kind of move the message and and uh, you know really thoughtful. And same with guys like Blake Wheeler from the Jets and Brayden Holpe, even Logan Couture. And and what stood out about Couture was, um, you know, he had this post and, and he was one of, again one of the first ones. And he started with something like, uh, you know, if this offends anyone, and 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 you know, it was it was kind of too bad he had to say that or felt that he needed to say that. Um, but uh, I think he kind of really took a leadership role there. Uh, it was funny. It was then pointed out that, you know, not necessarily directly to Evander Kane, or sorry, to Logan Couture, rather. Um, and I think it was even by one of our colleagues, uh, Dan Robson. But just kind of where was this um, kind of groundswell of, of support when Akeem Alou uh, came out with his, um, you know, uh, his, what he said in his accusations of, of Bill Peter uh, Peters rather um, using the N word against him, um, you know, in in um, in the minors uh, years ago, uh, and 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 Couture, you know, came out and replied and said, "Yeah, I, I you know, I I didn't do that, and I should have, and and uh, you know, uh, that's on me for not doing it before, and, and this is a change. So I hope that that this is is a sign that, um, you know." Players can speak more forcefully on, on these issues and and kind of have their voices heard. It's something that's so important because um, you know I, I I can kind of empathize in a way. You know, it's 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 uncomfortable to weed into some of these territories, especially if they're political. But in this sense, it's not a political issue. It's it's a it's a human rights issue. And and I think you know for some of these guys uh, to really make that step forward, hockey's a very uh, conservative sport in the sense of of guys not wanting to, to ruffle many feathers but this is an issue that that goes well beyond anything uh inside a locker room uh in terms of the, the day-to-day runnings of a, of a hockey team so um re- really glad and really i thought it was a really big step forward for some of these guys that had such impactful statements uh over the past uh week to 10 days it does, and each you know, there's there's younger uh, um, uh, players like Connor McDavid, and and older players like, as an example, Holtby or or Blake Wheeler, uh, and, and I and I think that that you know, from my point of view, just as a, an individual in life, not necessarily uh, in the hockey world, but just in life in general. Um, this this has been this was a problem twenty years ago, and and I remember the thing was you know listen to what people are saying. Well, you know, I think listening is great, and we should always do that. But speaking up as these players have done now, I think has has opened up the conversation. And and I think there's two things. Number one, people are afraid to say something that is that is um, incorrect or will be taken the wrong way. And I totally get that. And then secondly, it's it's an uncomfortable conversation to have, yeah. and and it does involve um, maybe maybe looking internally, like each individual doing that, and. That's what has to happen, and and it's long overdue. And one of the things that I that I really like about the the younger generation, and you're part of that, Daniel, is that that my my generation has kind of said, well, we'll listen and we'll get to that, but never done it. 
and it's never going to go away and the time is now and that the urgency that the players have shown here and the the industry of hockey have shown i think it's a reflection of that and and it's not even good enough to say long overdue it, it was ridiculous but i'm pleased we're finally there and 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 i'm not i'm not in any way criticizing others i have been a part of that i'm almost 60 years old i've been around for a long time and uh, but it's time we all do it now every one of us and for that, I mean, I, I sort of thank the younger generation who don't necessarily let people off the hook as easily as my generation has. Well, thank you very much for considering me young. I, I, you know, if, if I was in the NHL, I'd be past my prime, uh, and uh, the gray hair on my head that and <laughs> that uh, doesn't make me feel so young some days. So, so I appreciate that. It's very, uh, very kind. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good point you make. But but I you know what I, I'm also curious of, of your thoughts. You know you you know you've watched this team for a long time. You've been uh, around, um, you know, longer in terms of, of you know when Connor McDavid got here. And I just want to wonder what you thought of, of the statement that he put out a couple of days ago. Um, you know I, I you know I, to me it was a, a good good that he did it uh better better late th- than never and you know there's lots of guys not only on the oilers but across the league that haven't said anything um uh but obviously uh, to me it wasn't quite the the same level of uh, of impact as some of the guys that we talked about earlier so it's i think it's a start but uh maybe a little bit more uh, potentially that that could come or could have come yeah i, th- I think that that you know we're, we're dealing with a young player here and probably you know, and I'm probably going to catch hell for this, but probably a little more manager than a than a Holtby or a Taves. When I read Jonathan Taves' piece, I I believed absolutely that he wrote it. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't a yeah. it was a it was a pure piece. Yeah. Um, and and heart and I it moved me. I'll be honest, it moved me. It was it was a you know he's he's from Manitoba. Uh, I grew up not terribly far from that area. It was it it was sort of. You know, I felt like I was reading something that could have been written to me, and it was heartfelt. And but I do think that 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 sort of um, approach or view of the world comes with with maturity and time. And so, you know, I I, I think that that you go by your life experience. Jonathan Taves has had more than some of these other uh, uh, players have had, and, and and Holtby as well. So the and and Wheeler. So there's maybe a little more depth to it, but. The, the, my overriding feeling is that it, that like it, it the, the the leaders of the league had to step up and and they have and I've listened to um, George Larocque and Mark Fraser and you know others who have spoke so beautifully about this in the last while and they've done that before but this time it's resonating so I, I like that everybody got included um, you know the 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 level or the depth of the the writing or the emotion uh, you know is is i think it variable based on age and experience but it's like we're moving something here and it's it's been it's like watching a a, a glacier or whatever that hasn't moved in 100 years and finally it's moving and it's it's it is overdue and it's about time and but it is exciting and i hope that we don't lose the momentum because it's too important to yeah, that's, to, that's, to that's, stop Sorry, yeah, that, that's totally fair, and I think uh, you know guys like uh, Taves and especially Braden Holtby have been uh, a lot more um, comfortable and, and and willing to kind of get out there on some of these issues. Before you look at Braden Holtby and uh, you know his his um, willingness to speak out and and and, and act and help uh, the LGBT, LGBTQ uh, um, population. 
Um, and it's not just lip service, right? So, um, you know, I think uh, guys like like McDavid, maybe this is a starting point for him rather than uh, just the end. And at least that's what I hope. And um, I, I, I've found it so promising, though, that the guys like the, the ones we mentioned, uh, Taves, uh, Colby, Wheeler, etc., that are really uh, kind of went out and, and, and stood on a limb for something that was so, um, you know, important. Um, at this time, I mean, it's uh, it's a shame, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, there there was very little or almost none at all uh, in terms of support for uh, Kima Lu, um, you know, weeks, months ago now. Uh, but hopefully, this is a sign of of, of change for uh, you know some of these more prominent names around the league. We're we're living in such interesting times, you know the 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 Me Too movement of of the last few years. Uh, where where a lot of, of um, things that were allowed in society are no longer allowable, and and with with this, and you mentioned the LGBTQ, there's a there's a long way to go there. Um, it, it, there are statistics that are frightening, but part of that is what is what we're doing now. We, it, it's talking about it and is saying, you know. We, we can't just say, oh, it'll get better and then go into our houses and watch comedies all night. We have to be a part of the society that we're in. And and I have to tell you, I've, I've been observing the NHL for decades. This has been a sea change, as the young people say. Uh, and and it 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 is really, really been, uh, I think, impactful. I think a lot a lot more of us are talking about it as we should have been, but we are now. Uh, and and that's a good thing. So hopefully it will continue as time rolls along. Now, we have Jason Strudwick coming on the show today. Uh, Jason is a great guy. Uh, we also are going to talk a little bit about about some other things very quickly. So I want to get to those before we get to take a break and go to Jason. You wrote an article, uh, Daniel, about the, the, the I guess that it'll be the press box guys. And, you know, I agreed with your take. Uh, but at some point in time, the all of, a lot of the press box guys are going to be in, end up playing anyway. I think all the left wingers will, as a, for instance, and, and probably the defensemen too. But the Oilers have, and Ken Holland has, they've created enough depth now. In reading your article, I agreed with what you said, but some pretty good players are going to be sitting in the press box every game. Yeah, Jonathan Wilson, I teamed up on that one, and... Um... Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's right. I mean, Dave Tippett alluded to it in his conference call on uh, Wednesday, I believe it was, uh, just in the sense that um, he plans on using as many of these guys as, as possible. Um, you know, worried about you know the layoff for, for some of these guys, maybe some sloppy play uh, that that could creep in after such a long layoff. Um, but yeah, he's got. I mean, he's got eight regular defensemen. We're assuming Mike Green is healthy, and all indications are that he is. Uh, and, uh, you know, with Joachim Nygaard back, uh, you look, you, you know, you have 14 regular forwards. I know Gaetan Haas was, was kind of getting scratched a little bit at the end, but uh, though I would suspect that those 14 guys uh, up front, plus the eight defensemen, would, would you know, have really good chance to, to all get in and, and should and will. Um, after that, though, it gets a little more dicey. I mean, you're looking at then Tyler Benson, 
you know, there's a, you mentioned the left wing kind of, uh, the, and, and we noted this as well, just that that is a position of flux, uh, but he, he'd be for, pretty far down. So he maybe has a chance, but Granlin, I guess, as well, if they want to bring him back. But then after that, you're kind of getting into the weeds a little bit, in my opinion. Um, you know, a guy like Patrick Russell, who, who barely played, uh, would be kind of a long shot to me. Um uh, or, or, you know, unlikely. I mean, if, if Josh Archibald goes down, there's a kind of a spot for, for him to naturally fill. Um, but uh, obviously, you know, the goaltenders are, uh, you know, that's a position where uh, they're they're not going to go beyond uh, Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen uh, unless there's something terribly wrong in terms of injuries. So uh, lots of, of, um, of options uh, and lots of good options, which is something I don't think the Oilers have had in a long time. Um, um, so, so, you know, we've, we talked uh, last week about, um, how unfortunate potentially, I guess it, it would have been for the, or it is for the Oilers to, uh, to be in this, uh, situation and having to play the Blackhawks in a best of five, but I think their depth, uh, really shines through and, 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 uh, gives them, uh, the, the edge over a team like Chicago. It's, um, the the one area I remember in 06, um the the Oilers traded Marty Reasoner, uh, assuming Mark Pouliot could take on the fourth line job, and then he got um, I, th- I think it was Mono. I can't remember Pouliot had so many injuries; it's hard to keep track of what he had. But he was unavailable, and they signed Rem Murray out of out of uh, Switzerland, Barton, and he 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 played the fourth line role all through the the playoffs there in, in uh, uh, 2006. When I look at this team. They seem set. The one area I wonder if Ken Holland would have liked to add something, knowing what he knows now, is in goal because I don't know, you know, the the status of Shane Starrett. Maybe he's fine, but he had a real trouble with that that groin injury, and sometimes those things really do linger. And Stuart Skinner, I believe, would be the next man up. He'd be the number third goaltender. Any thoughts on on? And I I know that they're not you know bringing anybody, but any thoughts on that goaltending depth chart? If somebody goes down, being a concern. Well, what they do have those two guys, right? And and you look at Chicago, uh, where they traded Robin Leonard, um, and they're I mean, with all due respect to Malcolm Subban, um, I don't think you know you you'd really feel like you could count on him as an everyday guy in the playoffs right so at least they do have two guys i mean they're in in uh, you know better spot than chicago and, and then and better spot than a lot of teams in that regard so it you know hindsight's 2020 certainly i don't think ken holland it, you know, obviously things were starting to turn by the trade deadline in terms of uh covid19 and, and and health and but nobody uh, expected that uh, you know we'd be in this situation uh, certainly into March and and, and definitely not now. Um, so I can't really fault him on, on not having a third option. Uh, again, at least he does have two. And, and and you're right. I mean, if if it gets to the point where uh, Stuart Skinner, would, who would probably be the third guy, needs to go in, and especially Shane Starrett, then the Oilers would be in trouble anyway. So um, you know you have to also remember that they were. Kind of operating with the you know with the salary cap in mind at the deadline and, and finding a guy uh, you know whether it's eight hundred thousand or a million plus or whatever uh, to be the third goalie would have been a very challenging thing to do. Um, so I, I really can't fault uh, Holland and I, I think they're in a in a decent spot with at least uh, Koskinen and Smith. All right, this is the Oil Can Podcast. We'll be taking a break and we'll be back after this with basketball potentially returning soon. The debate rages on: Who is the goat? 
One thing we know for sure is Manscaped is the goat for men's grooming. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. You know what I'm talking about. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0 Essentials Kit. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 water resistant cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use when you're done quarantining. Subscribers to the Peak Hygiene Plan get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean and no pulling. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code THEATHLETIC. This is the Old Can Podcast. It's Alan Mitchell and Daniel Nugent Bowman, and we're delighted to be joined by former NHL defenseman, played a long time in the big leagues, Jason Strudwick. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I, I appreciate you saying, as some people said, I played too long. So, uh, you know, I guess I was just happy to get that one extra year in when a lot of people didn't think I needed to. <laughs> well, you, you played with a lot of young defensemen, so surviving even a couple of years was probably, I mean, that's got to be a victory, right? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Well, I was a young defenseman at times too, and you're, you're so excited to get out there and play, and you're trying to make a difference. Um, you know, and sometimes you're a little too excited. You know, in my personal case, I know I was trying to always be physical and, you know, stirring up and trying to get involved in the, in, in, uh, you know, rougher play, sometimes get you out of position and running around for a hit. And you got to realize when it's time to hit or not hit and, and how actually just kind of standing your ground is sometimes a victory. So, you know, it's for young D-men, it, it is hard. It is hard. And, and the game now is so fast. Um, it, it can be a really real big challenge. Hey, Jason, it's, it's great to, uh, to have you on. And I'm sure we'll get to some more hockey stuff in a bit, but I'm, I'm just curious as a, uh, you know, a former player, a guy who played in the league a long time. You know, what do you make of um, of, of a lot of these NHL guys really coming to speak up, out about uh, what's going on, in, especially in the United States, but in Canada too, with racial inequality and 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 the like? Um, it seems like a real sea change for for what uh, NHL players have have kind of been known to do in the past. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, hockey players have been quite reserved. You know, we 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 don't boast too much. Um, you know, there's obviously what you say on the ice is different than what you might say in a, in a media scrum. And, um, you know, now I think this is something that every hockey player has had to reevaluate the way that they interact with the world. Um, I can tell from my own experience, um, just this last week to 10 days, I've thought a lot about what um, maybe I should have said or, or should have been more outspoken of. Um, and, and silence isn't enough anymore. You know, not, not you know, even if you if you feel you're not a, a racist or making uh, bad decisions, that's not enough anymore. You know you need you need to speak up. So when I see guys um, like Crosby and, and Jonathan Taze, I thought his post was amazing, where he he doesn't have the answers, but he's going to open his ears and listen and learn. Um, you know, all these guys, Patrice Bergeron is another one, and so many people stepping up. I think it's really really important. Um, you know, and I think it's important for for white hockey players to not just stand beside their, their, you know, their, their teammates or, or competitors they play against that are, are black, but to speak up beside them. And I think that, um, you know, two weeks ago, I, I probably wouldn't have felt the same way. You know, I, 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 not as far as the, the need to stand beside them, maybe not to speaking up, but I think, you know, it's, it's this whole, and, and listening to people speak, um, whether it's athletes or leaders, um, you know, or or just people that are putting posts up, it's made me realize that silence is no longer enough. 
Um, you have to, you have to use your voice. And it's, I've had an incredible period of change. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a racist, but I, 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 there's probably things I've, you know, just quietly done that I didn't realize I was doing. And so it's really made me reevaluate the way I've in, in interact with every, every, every um, type of human on the planet. So I, I think that it's a really positive thing that we're seeing the NHL. And I, and I give the guys uh, that are really speaking up loudly a lot of credit. It's also true. I know Mark Fraser was on uh, your show with Jason uh, Greger um, and, and talking about his experience. And, you know, what you said just a second ago, Jason, is it really rings true. I might have heard that interview a year ago and and not, you know, weighted in my mind the same way as the events have forced all of us to, and in a good way, I mean, to, to really listen to what he said and, and his experience in life and how he came up through hockey. It's so easy to say, oh, that's terrible or too bad and then move on. But but really, you know, if if we're going to if we're going to move forward as, as, as a community, and that's what we're talking about here, all of our communities, then we have to not just listen, but act upon it. And I, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier on the show, I'm almost 60. So I believe me guilty as charged, but it, it feels like there is more impetus here. And, and that's why I think, you know, Taves and Holtby and, and, uh, Kane and, and all of them, they, they, they are, the time is right, but their words are also true. A hundred percent, you know, and, and, um, you know, Mark Fraser, if, if I'm being honest, he's the one that really, um, kind of got me to do a lot of thinking. And I have, my oldest son is adopted and he is, um, he is a black child. And, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, ever since we knew, and we, we want, we wanted, this is, we, we want exact, my son, I couldn't have picked him out. He's exactly what I envisioned when I look at my son and, um, you know, to, to hear Mark talk about it and the way he spoke about his experiences. And, you know, the one that resonated with me was when he said that, uh, you know, it's, I, I never felt not invited or not included in a dressing room. And he goes, you know, I'm sure you're the same guy. You invited guys out for dinner and all that stuff. And it was great. As soon as we left that, that locker room and we went to a restaurant, your experience was different than my experience. And he goes, you didn't even notice it. You know, there, there might have been a subtle uh, look from the from the waiter or from a couple that's eating dinner there or whatever. And I, I it, you know, and I, it's so funny because I didn't even think about that. You know, I, I unless it's, you know, I always think that racism is like someone's yelling these obscenities at you. And that is. But there's a lot of subtle ways that we don't even think of. And Mark really made me think about it with my son. Um, you know, I actually I called Mark the next day and we had a long conversation about about, um, you know, being raised, uh, you know, as, as, as a black man, uh, or youth in, in my son's case, but, and, the, and the things that happened, maybe I could look for as a coach, as a, as a parent, uh, as a dad, you know, all those types of things that I, I, I think I knew that I need to, I, they were there, but I've maybe never had a full conversation, um, with someone that really knew. So, uh, it, it's, it's been a, a lot of, a lot of thinking I've done in the last week. And, uh, it's been a big change in, for my, a shift in the way I think I'll approach it. Uh, maybe not my perspective and what I think, but the way I will approach it and I'll speak out and, and definitely be a louder voice. Now, now Jason, uh, you, you know, you mentioned your son. Is there a, you know, a conversation you'd be able to share with us that you've, you, you have, you had a, you know, a, you know, a conversation with him in the last week to 10 days that has really resonated with, with the both of you after seeing what has happened in the United States, specifically with, with George Floyd, I'm sure like everyone you've seen, you know, the video and uh, everything that's followed. Sure. 
Yeah, it's it's a good question. You know, my son, he just turned nine. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, he, he we don't really have the TV on very much. Um, you know, I have him working on their wrist shots all the time. So, uh, you know, we, we do... We, we've talked about that, you know, I don't think in sp- specific to any situation like the George Floyd video, I'm not, I don't really want them to see that at that age. Um, but we've had conversations about, you know, the way some people treat other people. Uh, in our house, it's all about how you treat each other and then how we treat other people. And that's a, that's a big message we have. And, you know, people, when they ask about why there's violence, we say, well, you know, there's a group of people who don't treat some people well, and we're all included in that. And there needs to be a change. And, you know, just trying to get that message because it's pretty hard to have a real deep conversation. But, um, you know, with Mark, he just said it's just an open and you just want you always want your son or daughter to know there's always an opportunity to talk to you and there's nothing that isn't they're going to hide. Um, so, you know, it's it's something that's ongoing, I guess, to answer your question. And, you know, as he grows up, you know, Mark talked about how when he played hockey and uh, he'd go into a corner with another guy for the puck and they both fall down. And more often than not, Mark, if there was a penalty called, Mark would get it. And, you know, he, he, he thought that was unfair. You know, and I've, I've seen that um, with my son. You know, and now he's a big, big guy. But I've seen that in, in, on my son as well. Now, you know, that's unfortunately that there's some, some bias that may be in there uh, in, in, in the referees. And that's something that we all have to deal with. But I think it's a conversation. Mark said it's always a conversation. Let them know so it's not a surprise. And that's, I think, what we're going to go off of his great advice about how I handle with my son and, and both my other kids. So they know uh, what's going on around them. That's a, that's a fascinating insight. Thank you for sharing that, Jason. Is he a defenseman or dare you keeping him away from the defensive side of the game? Well, it, this is probably going to surprise you guys, but I, I actually am going to try to let them all three of them, they all like hockey. So I'm trying to teach them the, 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 the offensive part of the game. Uh, I feel I can coach the other part, but uh, my dad, unfortunately, didn't teach me the offensive part of the game. And so I'm trying to teach them that part. And then if they want to be a D-man, that's great. But they all love it. You know, and, and, and you know, we're, we're sliding out of that, that, that more serious conversation. But I, I, I believe that um, youth sports is amazing. And I miss it. I miss it so much. I, I, and my, I know my kids miss it. And I don't care if we win or lose. It's about seeing a young player, a young person. I don't care what the sport is, master a skill or improve on a skill. Uh, I'm actually doing Zoom classes with with my three kids and their buddies twice a week. They step most of the time it's all stick handling. We do a workout, whatever it is, and I've seen them, you know, be able to do things they they couldn't do two months ago, and they're so excited about it. And I I love that feeling. And for them, I think that's how you get confidence in young players. You know, they you te- you show them something they can't do, you show them how to improve it, and then they master it, and then you move on to something again that's harder. And uh, it's it's just so much fun. So I, I I love youth sport. I don't care what it is. You you, you play cricket. I don't care darts. Uh, and I miss it right now. And that's something that I know that a lot of a lot of kids and families are are missing right now. So which one of your uh, thirteen career goals do you have on loop for them to uh, to kind of master <laughs> to kind of copy? Is- well, yeah. Well, you know the one where I I have my eyes closed and I score. <laughs> <laughs> But it's funny, you know, like I, I you know, as a, as a coach, I, I recognize my limitations and I know what I can do now. Can I teach, you know, I, I can teach uh, 90% probably what a, a player needs, but the final finishing of, you know, whether it's a, a real detailed um, way of shooting or, or a fancy way of passing, that might be a little bit past me, you know? So you have to sometimes bring in friends or I call friends all the time and ask them, you know, how do I do this or that? Um, but I, I just, you know, it's it's such a fun, it's so much fun to see these kids change and grow. And when I say these kids, I'm talking about all the kids I get to work with. How many times has your 
eldest senior shootout goal. Oh, you know, it's funny. They, <laughs> I actually, you know, I, you would, you'd think I'd played all the time and people will shoot into my timeline every now and then on Twitter. And I'm always like, I always love watching it. I still get so nervous. So it's unbelievable. Like, <laughs> I already know the outcome. That's the worst part. You imagine how nervous I was prior to it. If I'm still watching it now and getting nervous, when I know I score. Um, but the thing that gets him is the fighting because I'm a pretty calm guy. You know, my wife says it. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite, I have a bit of a hard edge when it comes to, you know, just asking people to do things, but um, I, I don't really get upset. So they'll put a video on me finding like, who is this guy? I look like a wild man. And sometimes I wonder too, like, it seems like a different lifetime ago. So I'd say they're more surprised by the fighting just because, you know, my face doesn't look that welcoming as they see their, their nice dad when he's making them lunch. <laughs> Um, this is a, a little maybe off topic, but I'm just curious because I, I did have a, a chat with uh, Fernando Pisani recently, and um, I know you guys, uh, you know, were teammates and then finished your careers uh, together in uh, in Sweden. I know Fernando wasn't there for very long, but what what was that year like? What like what was playing in Sweden like to, to end your career? You know, I love the European experience, and I, I honestly would still be playing there because uh, if I if I could, but you know, life has to move on, and. I can say that, you know, I had two other times I went to Hungary and then I went to uh, Sweden or Switzerland, sorry. And all those three times, like one of the things that happened to me in the NHL, and, and that's just the way it is, um, you know, you're kind of, uh, my my role was, you know, limited. You know, there were some times I'd get more ice time, but, you know, it was it was pretty limited where I, I had to play a straightforward game, be very physical. And I, I don't begrudge the coaches thinking that's why I need to do that. That's, that's how I got my, my, my time in the NHL. But when I went to those three leagues, you know, actually, Hungary was probably the greatest. I fa- I went back and I remembered what it's like to be the man, you know, and 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 not that I needed to be the man to get the interviews or anything like that, but just to like have the puck on your stick, make plays, be on the ice the last minute of the game. And I know that my time in Hungary, and that was in Morocco, four oh five. I came back the next year and played for the Rangers. I honestly think that was probably my my best year in the NHL. I was so full of confidence, um, and the rules had changed away from what I was doing before. But I had just spent you know, whatever it was, a few months playing the Hungary where I had to puck on my stick all the time and trying to beat guys, trying to make plays. And it kind of relighted a, or relit a, a fire inside me to be like, you know what? I, I do like hockey. I don't just have to be the meat grinder that's, you know, pounding on guys all the time. Um, although I actually enjoyed that. But, you know, like you, you have to have a bit of both. So those time, those experiences in Sweden were unbelievable uh, in Europe. And, you know, it, it just, I, I would definitely recommend it to any player who's, feels like they're just they're kind of losing their their juice and a guy would be maybe that sean day i know that he was just terminated with the rangers i read an article about him and it just seems like he doesn't have a lot of you know fire for 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 the game and you go away somewhere else where you're now you you are expected to carry the play and it's it was so much fun Jason, I wanted to get your your reaction to what is going to be a, a strange year for the players. Now, everybody wants to win the Stanley Cup, but they've been off. They're going into a, an unusual situation in a bubble. Um, if you were a player today, um, I'm not going to ask you if you would be in favor or against it, but, but how difficult would be the decision to come back and play for a Stanley Cup, knowing that you may be away from your family for you know an extended period? Yeah, that, I think that's the, the biggest issue around this is that, you know, are guys going to leave their families for two months or two and whatever the timing is going to be? It, it is, it'd be a tough decision. You know, and I, I've, the whole time in the NHL, I had no kids. 
So, you know, could I be away from my wife for two months? Yeah, probably. She probably wouldn't find another husband that quickly. It'd probably take about <laughs> three months, you know? So we, we could, you know, I could, I could, um, it was, it was different when, but when you have kids now to be away that long and, you know, it's, it is, uh, you know, the COVID is definitely something that we shall still be very aware of and it can be very, it can do some significant damage to people. And then you, you put on top the, 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 um, unrest we have across uh north well for sure the usa you know it, it's kind of a scary time uh to, to to maybe be leaving your family behind um i think the messaging from donald fear and, and company has to be one of guys you know this is maybe something we don't all want to do but you know for the for the benefit of the nhl and the game we we have to come we you know we we need everyone's support here um because we're not just worried about you know this this summer we got to worry about the next year and we got to keep everybody safe and we got to try to keep this going and it's a tough conversation because you're asking people to pull away from their families in, a, in, a, in, a, in what's a very, um, you know, difficult time. So I, I'll be interested if every player comes back, you know, and, and then what happens if you don't come back? Like on their contracts, can they, do they have to come back and, and do it at this time? You know, if they, they feel it's unsafe or it's, uh, you know, so um, I, I would be surprised if there's not a couple of players that don't come back. And then, um, then the conversation circles around that decision by them. Yeah, that's a very interesting point you make, and uh, I know Anton Strahlman from the uh, the Panthers spoke to, uh, I believe it was Joe Smith with the, with the Athletic, and he had some serious reservations. And it's funny you mentioned the contracts because um, there was a report out of Russia saying that uh, Michael Granlin, who obviously was played the first you know half of the year or so with the Oilers, uh, and then went to the minors mostly for the, for the back half of the season uh would sign in in russia next year but i'm told that you know he will come back which you know if there's a guy that you think you know if he's yeah. on the way out uh you know he he might not want to do that so but you make an interesting point and there's a lot that we we don't know but i guess the, my question jason is obviously if if, <laughs> if there is hockey we know that the others will be playing the the blackhawks so what what do you think about that series and and um, how do you like the Oilers chances in in a, a shorter series where they should be the favorites but against a team with a lot of uh, championship pedigree well my the biggest fear I have is Corey Crawford you know yeah. what what can he do you know that that I think is is something that if you know if I'm the the Oilers coaching staff I'm letting the guys know we can't let this guy you know feel good about himself we have to get after him you know getting after him is getting shots to net and crashing the net you know if you accidentally slip and, and fall into him like it, 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 it this is the playoffs and you have to get by this team and Corey Crawford I think is the biggest issue um obviously Patrick Kane's a you know exciting player but the Oilers have their own top top you know top players as well um the the biggest I think advantage Oilers have is probably down the middle um, you know, obviously Jonathan Taze is, is an established player, but you pick your poison. Are you going to take Leon or, or Connor? Okay. Then that means the other guy gets to play against, um, Kirby doc, uh, these, these types of guys. So I, or, uh, Dylan Strom, you know, so the, the, I, I would feel very comfortable with the Oilers having to play against one of those two guys, uh, you know, with their inexperience. Uh, I recognize, I think doc has Kane on his wing, but still, you know, like that, that's, a, that's a matchup you feel good about. Then the back end, you know, the Oilers have a lot of depth. Um, the, the Hawks have, you know, Duncan Keith. And then who knows if some of those guys are able to come back that are injured. But, you know, they're pretty young back end. So, you know, we, the Oilers should feel very confident about this game or about this this series. But it, it make no mistake about it, it is Corey Crawford. I think he actually is probably the most important po- person in this whole series. And, um, you know, he could, he could win it. He could win a game or two on his own. And then in a short series, we only have to win three games. Uh, let's say the Oilers get down one nothing. And then going to the second period, the second game, they're down two nothing. You don't think they're going to get a little tight? So 
I think a, a start is really, really important for the Oilers and, and making sure Corey Crawford is not the difference in the series. I, I know in hearing Dave Tippett speak recently, he's worried about, um, you know, the veterans coming back and having their stuff, uh, you know, penalty kill, power play. How, you know, the penalty kill was going so well and after historically not being great, new coaches come in, they obviously have a system. Uh, in your experience, you know, do power, do penalty kills go away, uh, or, you know, in that period of time, or do you think they can come back and put the band back together and have little problem? Well, I, I think that anything that's happened in the first part of the season, I don't think we can automatically assume it'll transition to the second part. You know, so you, you look at like a guy like Debrinkat, who was having a tough time this season as far as scoring. You know, can we expect that he'll still be you know shooting blanks in this playoff series? No, I don't. I don't. I think it's a. It's. I would treat this like a brand new series. Um, but your point is well made about the penalty kill. Um, they have the same the same people in there. Um, they'll have the same system, so everyone should be comfortable with that. But can they get their their desperation level up to the same? heights you know are they going to be on their toes are they going to be as as intense and ready to go and i think that's the fear for a coaching staff is that you can't come in and just feel your way into this series you know i think they're maybe talking about an exhibition game or two um if i was a coach i would treat those exhibition games like a combined total goal series so we're let's say the Oilers are going to play whoever calgary and, and vegas well we want to win these two games you know total goals and 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 just to get the guy's mindset they're like we need to do it and i'd prepare i'd prepare and say guys these aren't exhibitions. These are real games. Then you hit the Chicago game. You're, you're, you're up. You're already kind of getting close to a level. But then talk to them again. Guys, we, this is not good enough. we got to be up. we got to be going and get your energy going. Because um, there's a real risk of, you know, teams not being ready. And, and, and good teams could get pushed out because they're just a little bit, you know, in a fog before the season starts. And uh, once that first round, like, I think we'll see some upsides in that first round. I don't know who, uh, but I think we'll see upsets in that first round. Jason, thanks so much for this. Appreciate. It. I know we we wide range of topics, but you you were great. We appreciate your time so much. You got it, guys. Anytime. This is the Oil Can Podcast. We're back after this. If you've been listening to the Oil Can Podcast for these many months, you know the quality guests that we have and the conversation between myself and Daniel Nugent Bowman and Jonathan Willis. Uh, you are driving around Edmonton right now, thinking about you know maybe advertising in the next while, getting customers back into your business. We know that a lot of Edmontonians run and own uh, small businesses. We'd like to invite you to promote your products at our podcast, the Athletic Podcast for the Oil Can. Our listeners are loyal and engaged, just like you, and this is a great way, an innovative way for you to advertise your business on your favorite podcast and to the people who value quality. So to advertise on this show, go to The Athletic, that's www.theathletic.com podcast ads. That's podcast A-A-D-S, podcast ads. There you can fill out a very simple form. We'll get back to you right away. Once again, the address is www.theathletic.com podcast ads, A-D-S today. Really enjoyed that conversation with Jason Strudwick on the All Can Podcast. Want to thank him again for uh, popping by. Uh, interesting stuff all across the board, but uh, speaking directly to the Chicago Blackhawks series, always nice to hear you know guys who played in the NHL what they're worried about. Looks like the goalie in Chicago is a, is a concern. Yeah, I mean goaltenders have the ability to to steal a series, right? And I think that's kind of what we talked about in the in the first segment there, uh, where you know maybe the Blackhawks don't have the depth 
in net, but they sure, certainly have Corey Crawford, who has battled some health issues in the last uh, couple of years, but, um, you know, is back now and, and uh, you know, a, a cup-winning goaltender who uh, who can easily steal, a, especially a, a short series. So um, that would be one of the, the major concerns for me as well. Uh, obviously, um, Jason alluded to it a little bit as uh, too, but uh, Patrick Kane, I mean, he was on fire uh, for the past, you know, quarter, uh, 25 games or so. Um, before the season uh, ultimately was, you know, ended. So um, the the and, and Jack Michaels, uh, Oilers play-by-play radio man, was was talking uh, to Jonathan and I last week about uh, how important guys like uh, Idle Marson and, and especially Darnell Nurse would be to shutting down uh, a guy like Patrick Kane. So those are the two things that are players that really uh, you know stand out to me. Uh, again, I think the Oilers have the clear advantage in, in depth. Uh, and obviously their star power, um, Jason alluded to uh, or said that, uh, you know, the, down the middle is where the Oilers would have the strength. And, and I think the Blackhawks, he's right, will will have to pick their poison in terms of, you know, do you want to, um, you know, kind of use Taves and, and Keith, maybe maybe you split them up, but do you want to kind of go up, go and use those guys against uh, Connor McDavid, uh, who's... You know, has two scoring champion uh, championships or other under his belt, and has finished second the last two years. Or do you want to use it against Leon Draisaitl, who's the leading scorer? So they're they're kind of stuck in that in that regard. So whoever gets the uh, later matchup has a um, has a really big advantage between uh, McDavid and Draisaitl, and and you'd expect or hope that they'd be able to to kind of take advantage of that. The other concern I have, like I think I think Oilers goaltending has been. Uh, obviously not at that Crawford level, but it's been solid this year. I, I worry a little bit about the referees putting the whistle away. I think Oilers have a big advantage of the power play and penalty kill on the special teams. If you look at Chicago's year, they're a little more productive five-on-five. Five. Part of that is I think they've got scoring on three different lines, and I, uh, I'll be interested. I, I, when you did your piece with John about the the uh, the, the aces in the in the press box, one of the things I was interested in was was the lines that weren't the McDavid line and the Drysaitel line because uh, ideally you'd want I think it was Shahan with um, Athanasio and Archibald, and then the Jajarkara line with Neil and I think it was Jason. Ideally, you'd want one of those lines being able to chip in a little bit. I think it's going to be very important. I don't know why, but depth scoring is always a huge deal. I remember the Cassian goal against San Jose a few years back. And, and I do think that, that that area, the Oilers getting some some five-on-five secondary scoring, which has not been their strength the last couple of years, that could be a concern. And, and that's one area that I think Chicago, because they've got a little more punch on that third line, might might have a slight advantage. Well, I mean, it, it is a concern because um, you're, you're right. I mean, the, the referees the, tend to put their whistles away a little bit more in the playoffs. Uh, they always have a tremendous power play, an excellent penalty kill. But five on five, obviously, they're they're one of the you know in the in the bottom third in terms of of, of the league um, in terms of uh, their five on five play. So that's a problem. Um, and that fourth line, especially to me. Um, if you have Jujar Kara and then James Neal and and, um, and Alex Jason, uh, has the potential to be a little bit problem problematic. I mean, um, to me, Kara is not the most fleet of foot. Uh, I think you need him in there at some uh, possibility, just or in some place rather, just because you don't have enough penalty killers. Basically, they use Shea and Archibald. Uh, Nugent Hopkins and Kara, and then and then Drysaddle kind of fills in at the end. So you take Kara out, and you're you're kind of hooped. 
Um, but that, you know, Chason and, and Neil are not exceptional. They're not very good uh, five-on-five players. They're, they're kind of specialists in terms of what they could bring on the power play. So that line is kind of the specialty line. Um, uh, so that that's less than ideal. And that's, you know, where maybe you, every once in a while you can throw in Gaetan Haas, move Kerr uh, over to the wing. and But then that's uh, that kind of just adds another um, person on on likely left wing um where really it's ryan nugent hopkins and then a bunch of guys that um are, are relatively in, interchangeable i mean certainly you'd, you'd rather have you know tyler ennis in there and, and you, you'd think and, and again care for his penalty killing um but there are a lot of guys in that mix um and, and dave tip is going to have a you know a lot of different options and, and again i think that's what he alluded to on the call on wednesday where that lineup is not going to be set in stone and it could change on a daily uh game-to-game basis that is now the with with phase two coming in and players beginning to practice at the rink and that sort of thing does that change your day-to-day are there going to be media avails obviously with uh social distancing but but is that something we can expect you to to uh report from in the next couple of weeks or are we not close enough yet to even discuss that it's hard to know to be honest um the the practice sessions are close to the media um, we don't know yet if it's going to happen Monday at all. Um, sure, by the time a lot of people are listening to this podcast, they, we probably will have a, a more concrete answer. Um, but the Oilers are only expecting five guys. Uh, you can probably guess, and we I mentioned four of them in the piece uh, with John. Uh, there are a lot of the local guys uh, are you know have the, the plan is for them to be there. Um, so there won't be a lot in terms of what is actually going on at the rink now whether or not uh you know we can do an avail from a distance you know outside or or something uh the others haven't said that yet so um again it would, it'll all be determined uh you know by the health authorities whether um practice or, or skate or, or whatever you want to call it can actually occur monday uh but the nhl is kind of getting ready to to open its its next phase phase two uh you know which is limited skates for six or fewer players uh to start monday but whether it'll actually start Monday, we don't know. But again, uh, don't expect uh, you know a ton coming out of that. Uh, basically, from what I've been told, you know, guys are for the most part still in their in their off season or, or home locations, and without a whole lot of clarity. I mean, coaches can't even be on the ice for this, so they're better off, or they feel that they're better off, you know, staying where they are and, and you know getting in skates there. So don't expect a ton of stuff coming uh, early part of next week. Well, this was a a, a very uh, interesting uh, podcast, Jason Strudwick, our guest. We took on some uh, some pretty heavy uh, subject matter, and I'm I'm glad you were uh, here to 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 move it along, Daniel. Thank you for uh, for being such a big part of a of what is a pretty difficult subject. For sure, it was great, and I, and I really appreciated Jason's uh, his comments, and especially the stuff about his about his son, and 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 yeah. uh, I thought that was great that he opened up about that, and and you know talking about. Uh, kind of the, the conversations he's had with with his son, um, so that that was tremendous. And really thank Jason for his time. All right, Bruins head coach Bruce Cassidy will join Joy McDonald and Fudo Shinzoawa at the Perfect Perfection Pod this week at the Athletic. You can check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. It's delightful to see you commenting on that in that area and getting feedback. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to rate and subscribe the Oil Can on Apple. If you click on the show URL, which is theathletic.com, the Oil Can, you'll get 40% off your subscription. 
Thanks for tuning into the All Can Podcast. On behalf of Daniel Nugent Bowman, I'm Alan Mitchell. We'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.